the best thing you can do as an adult is to teach mindfulness practices, especially mindful breathing on a routine basis in small little ways when they're already calm. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 379. Today, we're talking about mindfulness for kids with Kaylee Lefko. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, dear listener. So glad to connect with you. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe so you don't miss any of these amazing episodes. And if you've gotten something from this podcast, if you've ever gotten any value from this podcast, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating and review. Both places is better. It just helps the podcast grow more. It will take 30 seconds, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Kaylee Lefko, a teacher and co-founder of EduCalm and co-host of the Balanced Educator podcast. She helps educators create calm classrooms with EduCalm's easy, ready-to-use resources. And we're going to talk about the value of mindfulness in the classroom, but also how we can share mindfulness with our kids. And, you know, you've definitely heard here about the benefits of mindfulness, or maybe you are experiencing them yourself. So you want to share them with your kids, right? You know, better emotional regulation, more calm, clearer thinking. And we want to share this, but there are definitely some do's and some don'ts. So we're going to talk to Kaylee about the best ways to share mindfulness with kids today. Join me at the table as I talk to Kaylee Lefko. The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. I'm looking forward to talking to you and we're going to be talking about mindfulness for kids. You've told me that parents overcomplicate it. So we're going to be working on keeping it simple, but I know that nobody gets into mindfulness for kids. Just, I mean, like, like there's always like our own story kind of behind this. So I know that what, what was it that brought you to mindfulness? And yeah. Well, for me, um, I was always kind of like that keener kid. Like I loved to do really well my whole life. My parents never had to set high expectations for me. I always set 
highest expectations for myself and wanted to meet those expectations. And I learned when I first started my teaching career that kind of these expectations I was putting on myself, this kind of perfectionism mindset, uh, wasn't serving me well. It was causing a lot of stress. It was causing anxiety. It was causing me to do a lot of overworking. And so as I started to recognize that in myself earlier in my career, I started searching for practices that I could do to find a better balance in my life and learn how to manage these emotions and manage the stress. So through that, I started with yoga and really liked the um, physical aspect of that practice, but it was really the mindfulness that I started learning that stuck with me that I really loved. So I dove into my own mindfulness practice and started making it a daily routine. And it was then that I started asking myself this question, like, this practice is so useful. Why didn't I learn this when I was a kid? Now, being a teacher, my next question was, well, how do I, how do I teach this to my students? I wish I had learned this growing up in the classroom. It would have served me so well throughout all the stages of my life. So how can I make that a reality for the next generation? And uh, that's where my journey began. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, uh, so you, t you know, for a lot of people struggle to create their own meditation practice, their own mindfulness practice. What did it look for, like for you in the beginning? For me, it started off very small. Um, I recognized early on when I was struggling to make it a routine that I was just setting too high of expectations for myself. I would expect to do this hour-long morning routine before going and leaving for work, and that just wasn't realistic, and I could never stick to it. So I started really small. I started saying, okay, I'm going to do a one-minute mindfulness practice, and I used um, a meditation app. I had started with the Calm app, which I really enjoyed because there was a variety of lengths that I could choose from, and it was easy to kind of turn it into a routine using that app. So that's how I started with like a one minute mindfulness practice. And then as I started recognizing the benefits of the practice, then I went, okay, I like this. I'm, it's helping me. It would actually feel great to do five minutes. And, and then my mind would say, okay, yeah, yeah, you've got five minutes. So I would do the five minutes. And then eventually I kind of got really intense into it. Um, I started getting into, you know, different teachers and learning from, from their offerings and got to a point where I was doing like 45 minute practices in the morning, but that wasn't sustainable. <laughs> that was in my like excitement of this new practice and Super wanting to dive deeper. Phase. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then after that, I, that wasn't realistic in the long term. So I bounced back to a more consistent, like 10 minute practice, 20 minute practice, depending on the day. Um, and now my practice has evolved to kind of turn into just a quiet morning where I sit and drink my coffee and it isn't complicated, but then I practice mindfulness in my classroom with my students twice per day. So that's nice too. So I feel like that kind of integrates into my mindfulness practice every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And did you, um, um, I'm psyched to hear that the app was so successful for you. That's like so accessible and that makes it like, so, you know, accessible for, for many people. Did you come across any like obstacles or hiccups? Did you have the feeling of like, 
oh, I can't do this. You know, did you have that noble failure moment? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely had many moments where I would feel that it was all or nothing. Like if I couldn't do my 45 minute practice, well, I might as well just not do it at all. And um, over time, I just recognized that that wasn't sustainable and it wasn't useful for me. Um, And at around that time, I started getting really interested in learning about um, habit formation and how our brain uh, forms habits. So I learned this great trick from The Power of Habit um, where you just sandwich the new routine you're trying to create between two routines that you already have. So I got into the routine of every morning I would always brush my teeth when I first woke up and then I my next step would be to make my coffee. So I just started waking up, brushing my teeth, and then saying, you can't start your coffee until you do your mindfulness practice. And every time your brain says, I don't have time, just reduce the amount of time. If I wanted to do a 10 minute practice and then I'm like, oh, I'm too rushed this morning. I slept in a bit too late. I don't have time. Then instead of not doing it, I would say, okay, I'll do five minutes or four minutes or three minutes or two minutes, whatever it was that my brain would agree. Yes, you have time for it. And then only after that mindfulness practice would I start making my coffee. So that that formula really worked for me and really helped me to just make it part of my day every day. I love that. I think that's going to be really helpful for a, for a lot of people. Um, and what were some of the benefits that you saw in your life? You were said you be, you were kind of like stressed before. Obviously, it was some there was some help with your stress, but what were what were those benefits that you saw? Well, I definitely found that um, I was better able to recognize the signs of stress in my body. In the past, I would always get to the point of burnout before I even recognized that I was pushing myself too hard. So this mm-hmm. daily practice of just tuning in and checking in with myself, how am I today? Am I feeling tired? Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling, is it hard to sit still? Or am I sort of falling asleep during this practice? It was just this kind of moment to check in with myself and, and be like, how are you and how can I support you today? Um, And that really, I feel like has helped me to stop having these super high highs and super low lows and have a bit more Mm -hmm. like levelness through my kind of emotional changes throughout my life and and throughout the seasons of my life. So that was really beneficial, that that check-in definitely the skills that I was learning for reducing stress. Um, I'm a very uh, empathetic person. And so being in a classroom with um, many students, I find it very hard to not get overwhelmed by the emotion I feel for my students. Like I care for them so deeply that it hurts sometimes. And I have had to learn to kind of find a way to detach and, and, um, create separation between, you know, how my students are feeling and then how I'm feeling. And um, so the, the mindfulness practice has really helped me to tune into my own emotions, recognize them, recognize when like I'm feeling something that isn't mine to feel like it's some, that's someone else's mm-hmm. emotion or it's the story I'm putting on it. That's making me um, feel too, I don't want to say too deeply. I think it's a, a good aspect of my personality is that I care, but um, it isn't sustainable when I'm always caring too much, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So yeah, it's just the the emotional intelligence that I've gained from doing this mindfulness practice that has been super beneficial to me in all aspects of my life, in my relationships, in my career, in everything. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd have to agree. Like this, for me, it was like this equanimity. You know, like I just was like, I used to be really roller coaster. Like really, I was really up or I was really down. I would fall into these downs. I would feel things so intensely. And I'm much more even keeled. And that there's this, there's a freedom in that, you know, like where I'm not being like pushed and pulled. I'm not like being pulled down a hole in a way that I can't, you know, I can, I can, I have this awareness of like, oh, here's that thought and here's that thing. And it, and it, then that awareness is just interrupting those down, I just end up interrupting those downward spirals that used to just take me. Yes. And I feel that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I no, feel no, it's very like, similar to that. It's like, I have this space between, it's almost like I, I can watch my emotional reaction and like mm-hmm. choose to get in that boat or just watch the boat float by, you know, and yeah. it's that detachment. Whereas before, like you said, I would just feel everything so deeply. And now I can watch my feelings, watch my thoughts, watch my reactions or the way that I am prone to react and give myself a little space to choose a different reaction. Um, and kind of so oddly useful. enough, like you feel things more, I find, like you talked about, like you would feel things so deeply before. And I think what because I can really relate to what you're saying. And and what I think like before I would just, I would also have a lot of resistance to everything I was feeling, you know, so I would be pushing it away and then it would be pulling me and I would be pushing it away. And ironically now, like I feel things more intensely in some times, but it's doesn't, it doesn't like, it's like, it's okay. I'm, I can accept that. I'm, I can tolerate that. And then it changes. And then there's something else, you know, it's not, it's it, cause I, I want, I could hear, you know, maybe the listener hearing like, oh, I, I used to feel things so deeply. And like, it doesn't mean like we're in, Kaylee and I are, are like robots now unfeeling. <laughs> cause a lot of things I feel even more deeply than before. Yes. W- would you agree with that in some ways? Yeah, definitely. I definitely know what you're saying. It's like, I, yeah, I feel all the feelings and also I can be okay with it. Like one of my main mantras is I'm feeling emotion and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So like I'm feeling stressed and that's okay. Let's Mm -hmm. feel this stress. Let's ride this wave. Like, because I, I've, learned through this practice of, of self-discovery, self-study, um, that, you know, nothing stays the same for long. I, and it's okay if I'm feeling really tired this week, that's okay. I can feel tired. I'm allowed to have that emotion. I'm allowed to have that, that feeling in my body. And okay. So what can I do to support myself during this time, rather than trying to like push against, like, I shouldn't feel tired. It's wrong to feel tired. or I shouldn't feel stressed. There's something wrong with me. if I, if I'm feeling stressed, it's like, I feel this emotion. I observe it. I almost study it. I'm Mm -hmm. okay with it. And, um, I feel all of the emotions with appreciation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it changes. I know. I think the idea that, you know, I completely understand where you're saying, but I think sometimes the idea that we, t- we, we exist in a, me- a mode of, I shouldn't feel this. We don't even realize that, you know, we don't even realize the resistance that we have when we're unaware of our sensations, our thoughts and, and feelings at any given time, because we're always on autopilot and just going, going and doing, doing, we don't even, you know, so for, 
dear listener, like if you haven't started a, a meditation practice or mindfulness practice yet, you might be saying, well, I don't do that. But you might be surprised, like you may be like pushing things away completely unconsciously or completely unconsciously telling yourself the story that I shouldn't be having this feeling and like, and, and kind of like shaming yourself for like having difficult feelings. It, it's happens really often that, that it's completely unconscious that people are doing this. I totally agree. And I would say that it took me a number of years to get to the point where I was conscious of the, of my mind judging myself mm -hmm. and that, that only really made sense to me um, during my yoga teacher training, you know, this intensive 200 hour, 30 day training where you are meditating and doing yoga and studying, you know, all hours of all the days. <laughs> and there was just this one moment where in one of our classes, my teacher had explained this recognizing your emotion and then recognizing if you are judging that emotion and how that's just piling more on top of that emotion. And I was like, oh my gosh, what a revelation. Like, yes, that's true. I judge myself for, um, for my feelings. And so that became a big study for me of just like recognizing when that was the case, but that didn't come right away. It took with, it took time to, to get to that point. And that's the really cool thing about a mindfulness practice is like, you're never done. You just keep discovering new layers. And when you think like there's no, you're never trying to perfect it. That isn't the goal. It's just this continuous change as your life changes, as new experiences come up, as different seasons in your life come up, you get to see yourself and your reactions um, in different ways. And it's cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 That like, that like, non-judgmental curiosity. It is cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad you pointed out that like the, these things take time. It's not like before and after, like super simple like that. Yeah. So I hope it didn't, <laughs> sorry if it sounded like that, dear listener. Um, well, this is awesome. So, I mean, obviously there's all these unfolding benefits that we've been talking about that really unfold over time and over life, but there are benefits that happen really quickly with a mindfulness practice. And this is where we talk about how your work with like how you bring it into school and with kids. So what you, you bring it into school, you teach it to kids and what are some of the immediate benefits that happen with kids? I think one thing that's really interesting um, is that I do a lot of teacher training as well. So I train teachers on how to teach mindfulness in the classroom. And um, people are always amazed with how, how kids enjoy this practice. I think adults tend to assume that kids won't enjoy it, but they really do. And it's amazing how quickly they, they can tune in. I think they've um, developed less layers of resistance as adults have. Mm -hmm. And so usually the practice actually comes a lot easier to them than, than adults. Um, so definitely within the first practice that I do with students, whether that be in kindergarten, or all the way to high school, when I ask them, so what did you notice during that practice? They all have and are surprised to explain that they feel calmer 
or they just enjoyed it or they thought it was cool. Um, you know, when we'll do things like I'll ask them to just become aware of the sensations in their feet and ask them if they can feel any tingling in their feet. And then they're all so amazed, like, oh, there was tingling in my feet. I didn't realize that before. How neat is that? So <laughs> there's this really cool curiosity that kids have and an interest and they kind of dive right into it. It's cool. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Rituals Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. That's awesome. Uh, I love that. I, I wish there was like, I, I want to bring it to my kids' schools. <laughs> They're very resistant to learning it from me. But you say that we as adults, we kind of overcomplicate it. We make it a little harder than it needs to be. So what are some like, can maybe you can give us some do's and don'ts as it comes to like sharing mindfulness practices with kids? Yes. Well, I would say the first do and don't is um, don't expect their practice to look like an adult's practice. Um, depending on the age, if they are, you know, four to eight years old, sitting completely still during the practice isn't necessary and isn't really the goal. Um, our goal is to allow them to listen to the guided practice or do the exercise um, in a way that makes sense for them. It isn't bad to be moving or fidgeting um, and it's okay if they kind of tune in and out. Adults do that too, it's just less obvious. <laughs> um, so I think the main do with a mindfulness practice is kind of like be open to allowing the kid to practice this in a way that, that makes sense for them. Um, another big important thing when you're teaching mindfulness to kids at the beginning is to teach it to them when they're already calm. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes as adults, we see mindfulness as kind of a fix to a problem behavior or a tantrum or an outburst or a big emotional moment. You know, you see a kid having a, a meltdown and, and then 
as an adult, you want to say, oh, let's just take some deep mindful breaths. But if they don't have that experience of what a deep mindful breath feels like, then they don't know how to do that, especially when their brain is full of emotion, it's shut off from learning new things, and it just isn't ready to try that strategy. So the best thing you can do as an adult is to teach mindfulness practices, especially mindful breathing, on a routine basis in small little ways when they're already calm. And then once they have integrated those little strategies that you've taught them, then we can start to use them in moments where we're feeling big emotions that are are more difficult to manage. I've definitely made that mistake. Just so you know, dear listener, like I want to like confess all my like challenges. So you know that I'm not perfect either and none of us are, but yeah, I've definitely made that mistake of like a kid and a really a daughter in a really challenging moment being like, come on, take a deep breath into your belly. And she's like, leave me alone. (laughs) Yes. And I made that mistake too. When I first, the first time I ever tried teaching mindfulness in my classroom was on a day I was teaching grade eight that year. And my students came in after recess and they had had this big dramatic thing that happened among their friends friends group and everyone was just in this high emotional state. And my response as a teacher was like, okay, I can't teach until you guys are calm. So let's do an exercise that's going to calm you down. So man, it took me probably 10 minutes just to get them to sit down and then, you know, tried to play an audio for them that just they're giggling and they weren't into it. And I learned right there, okay, (laughs) now it's done. Got to try a different strategy. So I played with so many different strategies and so many different techniques with my students until I found a formula that really worked. And once I found that formula and it worked so well, I was like, okay, I need to create something that's going to allow other teachers to do this as easily as I have now. Now that I've figured out all the what not to do, (laughs) I can just give you the ready cooked, here's what to do. (laughs) That's so funny. You just made me remember, you know, like I was a teacher for a couple of years, like three years. And I was a, for two years, I was a teacher in a high school art room and it was like a tough high school. And I brought my bell in of mindfulness. This was like, an, gosh, that was like an, it had to be like 2003 or four. <laughs> and I had all my, my high school students sit for 30 seconds of silence before we started every class. And sometimes I was like really annoying and controlling about it. Cause I'd be like, okay, we have to start again. But a lot of times it helped, I think kind of like make a delineation. I, I probably could have done it more skillfully, but um, it's interesting. I had completely like forgotten about that whole thing. <laughs> well, you definitely started right. You know, the best way to do a mindfulness practice in a classroom is to start right at the beginning of class. So you're setting the tone for the day. You're giving students time to settle, to get their brains and bodies ready for learning. Um, so you know, they're also learning that your classroom is a safe space where they can come and they know that they're going to get to relax for the first couple seconds. You're not going to be grilling them right away. So it makes them more, you know, feel like they want to come to your classroom a little more. (laughs) So you, you're definitely on the right track and also just keeping it simple, just using a bell. Um, It doesn't have to be complicated. Kids, I think what's really important to understand with mindfulness, especially when you are teaching this to kids, whether that be your child or in a classroom, is that they're not going to learn it right away. This is a skill that has to be developed over time. So the first practice, 
might not go great. Actually, it probably won't. So don't be <laughs> offended if it doesn't. Don't feel like you've failed if it doesn't. Um, that would be like, you know, handing your four-year-old a book and saying, okay, read this. They don't have the skills yet. So how could they do it on their own? So what you do as a parent or as a teacher is you practice the reading skills over and over and over and over. And then one day, they can read all on their own. And now they have this skill that takes them through all areas of their life and supports them in everything that they want to do. The same is true with mindfulness. If we practice just small, short strategies daily and it becomes part of the daily routine, then they start adopting these strategies. They learn these skills. They learn these mindsets. Um, and eventually they start taking that into their own lives. So, you know, for example, classrooms that use our, our classroom mindfulness program, we get so many cute stories of teachers that got emails from parents saying, you know, my five-year-old, we were in the car and, um, my, the, the two kids were kind of fighting. And then the one that's in your classroom, that's been learning mindfulness stopped and said, let's take, let's do five finger breathing together. And they did a mindful breathing and then everything was good. Or kids that, uh, try to teach mindful breathing strategies to their parents when their parents are feeling big Aww. emotions. And, <laughs> you know, these kids just start integrating the, these strategies into their lives. And it's so cool. They'll do, you know, a breathing strategy before their soccer game that they're nervous about or things like that. So um, it's, it's a skill that needs to be developed over time and you're not going to see it overnight. Just like as adults, we were saying, you know, there's, there were many levels of things that we learned over time and how the practice has changed over time. Um, it isn't a night and day solution, but rather a skill that we're teaching. Yeah. Like a muscle that we're building. Mm -hmm. So, um, let's go into some of the strategies, uh, you know, mindful five finger breathing is something that we teach, you know, as a mind in our uh, mindfulness for kids bonus and in, in the mindful parenting membership. Um, maybe you can describe it for us here. Yeah, absolutely. So you just place one hand in front of you and with the index finger of the other hand, you'll start at the base where your thumb and wrist meet. And then we're just going to trace our hand as we breathe deeply and slowly. So inhale as you trace up your thumb. Exhale, trace down the other side. Inhale, trace up your index finger. Exhale, trace down the other side. Inhale, trace up your next finger. Exhale, down the other side. Inhale, trace up your next finger. Exhale, down the other side. Inhale, trace up your pinky. And exhale, down the other side. And just mm. pause and notice how you feel. Hmm. Thank you, Kaylee. I like that one. So how might a parent integrate that into the, into daily life? So what you would want to do is see what are, what is a routine that I already have in our daily schedule where doing this five finger breathing practice would fit where my child is already calm and it could also help them to prepare for the next thing on the agenda. So that could be something like, um, you know, if your child brushes their teeth every morning before leaving for school, maybe right after we breath, brush our teeth, we do five finger breathing together, or maybe right before breakfast or right after breakfast, or we have our shoes and our jacket on. Let's take five finger breathing before we walk out the door so that we're 
walking into our day from a place of calm clarity where we're feeling ready for the day. Um, but if mornings are hectic for you, don't try to put something in there that's going to make mornings feel more hectic. So maybe a nighttime routine. Exactly. Keep it very simple. Maybe nighttime routine is better. Um, a lot of students that practice mindfulness in the classroom say that they use these strategies before they go to bed to help them fall asleep. I actually have been surprised to learn how many kids have a hard time falling asleep at night. <laughs> so there's lots of kids that use these breathing strategies in their beds. So if that can be part of the nighttime routine, you know, you tuck your child in and then do a breathing strategy together. Five finger breathing, nice and simple. Um, do that every night. And then also it can be really great to just have discussions with your child with how could this breathing strategy help you during your day? When would you use this? Would you use this? Is this something that you would use? And getting them to reflect on that and understand like, well, how could this be helpful for me? Also helps them with buy-in. It helps them to understand like, what's the point of doing this? Mm -hmm. Many kids will just do the practice and feel they get the point already. That it's, they feel calmer now. Okay, I get it. But some kids need a little extra help to understand like, why are you making me sit still and breathe you know, as I trace my hand. So if you can get them to articulate in their own words, how it can be helpful really helps with the buy-in. I love this. I love this. Well, this, this is all incredibly helpful. Maybe we can do just one more strategy, a simple strategy before we, we let you go, Kaylee. Yeah, definitely. Um, belly breathing is another strategy that we really like to use with kids. So you place two hands on your belly and can close your eyes and imagine that you have a balloon in your belly. And as you inhale, try to fill up that belly balloon. And as you exhale through your nose, just let it empty. Inhale, try to fill that balloon a little deeper. Exhale. Inhale, feel your belly pressing against your hands. Exhale, feel the air leaving your belly. Notice how you feel. Mm. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Beautiful. All right. So very, very simple, effective, just bringing us back to the present moment, bringing us a little more awareness, kind of a little pause, a little bit of slowing down that go, go, go uh, energy that we have, or even giving us some energy for a little time. Like mm -hmm. um, so thank you so much, Kaylee. Uh, I love this. Uh, is there anything that um, you would want to leave parents with as far as what they, you know, as they maybe start to introduce these practices with their children at home? Yeah. So um, as you're starting these practices, you know, if you already have a mindfulness practice, you probably have strategies that you find really works for you. Don't be afraid to share those with your kids. And if your kids don't jump on right away and they don't love it right away, that's okay. Try again on another day, try in a different way. Um, I think a lot of times we feel kind of like our feelings get hurt when kids, especially when we're passionate about this thing, if they don't like it too, we're like, but why? <laughs> but just kind of giving them that space to like come to the practice in their own way and having discussions with them is really helpful. So if you are listening to an audio together, have a discussion after and just say, what did you notice today? And um, it can be really 
a very great bonding experience to just let them talk about what did they notice during that practice. And there's no right or wrong answer. Mindfulness is about paying attention to the present moment on purpose with no judgment. So as the adult too, it's really important that we demonstrate that non-judgment. Like if your child says, well, I didn't like that. It was boring sitting still. Okay. So you felt that that was boring. That's interesting. Yeah. Sometimes sitting still can feel really boring. Thanks for sharing. That's it. Just thanks for sharing. Or I really liked that. I feel calmer now. Okay. Thanks for sharing. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Um, and if parents would like to have you know, ready-to-use audios, we do have a free resource on our website that they can check out. It's created for the classroom, but you can absolutely use it at home. Um, it's on our website at educalm.com. Just sign up for the free trial and you'll get 10 ready-to-use audios in both English and French if you have any French-speaking listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that can be a really useful resource as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know there's definitely some, there's teachers uh, who are listeners and there are people who maybe want their teachers to be doing some mindfulness in their classrooms like me. Uh, (laughs) So tell people about what Educom does and and obviously it's at educom.com, but tell tell them a little bit about what what you do. 
Yeah. yeah. So with Educom, we have an online ready to use mindfulness program for the classroom. So a big hurdle for teachers in bringing mindfulness into the classroom is that they just don't feel that they are the expert in mindfulness. And it feels awkward for them to try to teach mindfulness in the classroom if they don't feel like the expert. So what we do at Educom is we remove that barrier and we allow the teacher to learn alongside their students. So we have um, a whole year worth of ready to use audio. So teachers just have to sign in, press play and listen to the audio with their students. And then of course we have a ton of supporting resources to help the, the teachers to understand how to use this, how to set this up in their classroom, how to make a good routine that's gonna work for them and their students and their teaching style. Um, and then because we're teachers, we also have a lot of resources that can help you to link what they're learning in those different mindfulness units um, to your regular teaching curriculum. So this can get integrated into languages, it can get integrated into your science courses, into your health units, things like that. So we, we've divided um, the audios into different themes. So we have many different themes like, you know, the uh, introduction to mindfulness and then we have kindness and compassion and we have the five senses, um, gratitude, um, all sorts of different themes. So that works really well for a classroom because as teachers we like to you know have different themes and units throughout the year. So students get a very uh, well-rounded social emotional learning and mindfulness experience from this. It helps to create a calm classroom atmosphere where everyone is ready to learn and to thrive. So you can do like I'm going to be doing and sharing it with your kids class, your kids, teachers in classroom, if you like. Uh, Kaylee, thank you so much. I think this is such a, you know, I appreciate your story about your own practice. And I'm, I love what you've done. And I think it's such a, a message that we need is like, just keep it simple practice non-judgment, lower our expectations, just keep practicing just the way we do with our own practice. So awesome. Yeah. So, um, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was so great to connect with you and with your audience. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please do me a favor, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it at mindful mama mentor. And yeah, and then you'll get more mindful parenting inspiration over there. But listen, I want to give you a personal update We're going into the holidays. You may have heard last week, I'm on crutches, or was on crutches, but I got off my crutches today. Yay! I'm kind of shuffling around, but it's so much better to be able to stand. Oh, it's such a blessing to be able to stand. I'm so happy about that. It's amazing how when it's taken away, that contrast makes you really appreciate simple things like standing. Goodness. So that's my personal update. I hope you are standing and moving and dancing, and I hope you're breathing and resting too. As we go into this time, I hope you're taking time for yourself because you know, you know, you know, it's the foundation for being the best parent you can be is just to put own needs at the top of the pyramid of priorities because if you're not taking care of your body, your mind, and your heart, you won't be able to really care for your kids the best you can. So that's from me to you, from my heart. I'm wishing you a great week, my friend. Thank you so, so much for listening. Give me some feedback. If you have some feedback, we'd love to know. Tag me on Instagram at mindfulmamamentor. 
send me a DM there. Email me at hello at mindfulmamamentor.com. I'd love to hear your feedback and I'm wishing you a great week, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.